Kobe. This is Kyle. And this is the Healing Circle Podcast with Kyle and Kobe. Yay, yay. <laughs> this is our second episode of our reboot, us doing this podcast together. And today we are going to dive into what to do when your spouse, your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend is depressed. Um, I think we talk about depression. We're beginning to talk about depression more in all contexts. Yeah. In, you know, society and churches and family dinners, you know, it's crazy that mental health is even coming yeah, up. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. And in more personal situations, it is a beautiful thing. But I think something that gets lost is how depression affects the people around us. Um, and so Kyle and I um, have both had depressive episodes before, mm-hmm. um, especially early in our marriages. And, and we thought it would be really awesome for us to share as by episode, she means a season. You know, this ain't one episode of power. This is season not one season six of power. Stop. Of power. Um, yeah, mine I'm... lasted for gosh, almost eighteen months. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It was long. It was long, and it was hard. Um, and we were just thinking, you know, we we are young, um, man and woman of color, and of faith as well. And it, I think it just. We would just miss such a huge opportunity to candidly share um, what our depressive episodes looked like for each of us. Um, And then also how it affected the other one. Because when I was in my depressive episode, he was not in his. And when he was in his depressive episode, I was not in mine. Um, So, yeah, we're going to share a little bit of that. Do you want to go first? Um, Yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Um, So, regarding... Kobe's depressive episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what did it look like when I was healthy, and what did it look like when I was depressed? So honestly, it took me a while to realize what depression even looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, Kobe was a therapist. She's always been a therapist. She's been a therapist since she was five <laughs> years old. She just got a degree recently, but they're just ratifying what was already true. I didn't know about I knew it was a thing to be quite candid, and I don't mean this to be, like, crass. Mm. I just thought it was a thing that white teenagers went through. Mm. Yeah. And I was like... I, you know, I, I'm glad that you're candid, because I think a lot of people think that. I'm like, to me, like, oh, uh, like, e- the, even the idea of, like, depression means that, like, you ain't been through nothing. Like, if you're depressed, that's just because you ain't been through nothing. You ain't, you haven't had to push through anything. Your life's been too easy. Yeah. So you're over here sad about stuff that don't matter. Mm. Like, you know, like, don't... Unless you're, like, in prison or somebody died, don't hit me with the whole I'm sad thing. That, yeah. you know, like, I just was... I had no value for the idea of one sadness, mm. but also that sadness... That you could be so sad that it would change the way your body responds to stimulus. Yeah. That it would literally change your brain chemistry. And now you cannot help but be sad. I used to really think depression was a choice. Yeah. So it took me a while. I'd say all that. We're going to talk about that stuff later. Mm-hmm. But um, it took me a while to even figure out what was going on. Um, and it was only because Kobe was in in therapy and also studying to be a therapist and she was introducing me to these terms and these definitions and I started to correlate like wait hold on didn't she say these things would happen if someone was depressed yeah 
And didn't she say that it wasn't just a moment of sadness, it could last months or even years? And so, I started seeing some things in her. Um, I wrote a few of them down. So, one, she was tired all the time. Yeah. Now, her life was hard, but it was not any harder than it had been the last, you know, 20-something years, at least logistically. Emotionally, I realize now it was much harder. But physically... She was in school, and at at least in the beginning, she didn't she didn't have another job really. It was just like it was school, and she was taking eighteen hours a week, and that can be kind of stressful. Yeah. But we've all we've all been through school. Well, not all of us, but if you've been through college, like it's difficult, but it's not necessarily the sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, and you adjust to it. Yeah. Um. So she she was tired all the time. I mean, she she could barely wake up, and when I came home. She was still tired. Sometimes she hadn't, you know, she hadn't had the energy to really change. Yeah. She was, like, still wearing pajamas. Yep. She was, like, constantly kind of irritable, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, it's like, I can't even say that because the worst thing you can do is tell a woman she's irritable because it's just going to turn. <laughs> it's not going well. It's never in the history of the world ever ended well. But she was, and then she was, like, looking for a fight. Like, all the time. It was yeah. almost like fighting made her feel alive or something. Yeah. But it was, like, yeah. to the point where I would be, like, there's no way this statement I'm about to say could possibly turn into a fight. I've I've examined it from six different angles. There's nothing here to fight about. And I would say it. And then mm. it would be, like, well, what do you mean? And I'm, like, wait, wait, no. No, no way. Not this, too. <laughs> and it was just this constant yeah. thing where it's like, man, I'm walking on eggshells around this woman mm. who I love. I feel like there's nothing I can say that's going to end positively. When did that happen? Like, how did we get Ooh. to this point? Can I jump in real yeah. quick? And I, so um, there are primary emotions and secondary emotions. And um, we should do an episode on that. We'll do an episode. See? Um, but um, because I want to focus on this, I won't go completely into it. But for many people, anger can be a secondary emotion. Um, so for me, anger is often a secondary emotion. Why? Because anger is meant to repel, right? When you show the physical symptoms of anger, you know, like teeth showing, um, eyes glaring, defensive physical pose, when you do that, you are trying to, you're trying to repel somebody, Right. If a bear comes to you or someone hits you, you're going to get angry and your your natural angry position physically is meant to scare somebody away. Right. So anger is an emotion that like, you know, when we think about the function of anger, the function of anger is to distance ourselves from other people um, or to make other people want to distance themselves from us. So anger is an emotion that often comes up. um, And if I'm willing to be vulnerable enough um, beneath that anger is a sadness um, and a sadness that that is concurrent with a shame about being sad. And so it's just easier to be angry, right? And so it's important to notice that my depression, depression did not always show up as immediate sadness. It showed up as anger and irritability and... um, to go a little deeper when you talk about um always wanting to fight 
right? Like when we talk about people self-harming, like people can emotionally self-harm too. Yeah. Right. People self-harm. The root of self-harm is wanting to feel something is, is the fear almost of being so numb Mm. that you're like, I need to feel something. Wow. Right. And so that's why people cut themselves. That's why they mutilate themselves. That's why they, you know, drink. That's why they smoke. They, they want to feel something. I want to feel that euphoria. I want to feel the warmth of the blood leaving my body. I want to feel something. And for me in my depression, like I wanted to fight with Kyle because I wanted to feel something, you know, like it, my day was so flat and I was just like, this can't be life. He said something. What you, what you mean? Huh? What, what did you say? Huh? You know? And, and, and that was my way of emotionally self-harming. Right, I was putting myself in a position that didn't favor me in any position, in any way, in any context. It didn't help my relationship. It didn't help my self-esteem. It didn't help my physical standing. It didn't help me in any way, but it made me feel something, even if it was just for a moment. But just like physical self-harm, physical self-harm no, never only affects the person who's harming themselves. It always affects um, whoever is connected to them in the system. Yeah. Um, and similarly, my emotional self-harm of always picking a fight because I was really sad but scared to say that and just wanted to express that in anger also hurt you because you were part of my system. Yeah. Um, it, it was it was not fun. Um, yeah. You know, some other things. Um, I was trying to think of things that were maybe less obvious. Um, she started drinking a lot. Yeah. And by a lot, let me qualify that. Not a lot for other people, a lot for her. Yeah. You know, it's like she she was not drunk. She was never, I mean, I don't even know that she was tipsy very, very many times. But it was just like, Kobe was a very, like, we bought a bottle of wine. It would take maybe a week or a week and a half for her to go through it. At that point, I wasn't even drinking wine. Yeah. It turned from a week and a week and a half to, like, three or four days yeah. to one or two days. And then yeah. one day, and even... You know, but even that, like a bottle of wine and what, like, that's not crazy. She'd still, she was it's fine. It's a little crazy. <laughs> it's a little crazy. But, but it yeah. was just, I, it, well, I don't know that it was, it was maybe close to that, but it, a half bottle. Like, it yeah. wasn't like she was sloppy or anything. I just started noticing, I'm like, man, that's like the fourth bottle of wine we've bought in like the last 10 days. Where is this wine going? <laughs> in um, my belly. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, it was going to hurt. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. Things that used to excite her didn't anymore. Like, so mm-hmm. Kobe is a dancer. She's always been a dancer. When she's happy with the Lord, she dances. When she's sad, she dances. When she's any other emotion, she's probably going to dance. Yeah. She dances with our son. Now he's a dancer. I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> surrounded on all sides by dancers. Um, and she did not want to dance. Yeah. She had free time. She had opportunities. Didn't want to dance. It was yeah. like, that was probably the clearest thing when I think there was there was something happening and there was an opportunity for you to go like to the, the nearest school and dance with a, a dance troupe. That I don't know if that's with a crew, a workshop. I don't yeah, know it the was terms. A workshop. It's okay. And you were yeah, like, I like... don't want to go. And it's like, you don't want to go. Who yeah. are you? What do you mean you don't want to go? Yeah. So that was like a huge kind of red flag. And then another thing like, she started like craving sugar. Oh my like, god! I'm glad you meal. got to that. Yeah. 
every meal, everything. It was just like snacks all the time. Yeah. And it was just sugar, sugar, sugar. It it turned from red wine to like Moscato. It turned from like I'm gonna have some plantain chips to I'm gonna have some Reese's. You know. Yeah. Like, and it was ice cream and and mind you, I eat sweets all the time. Yeah. So that was not a depressive thing for me. I'm like I was always trying and to I'm start like a, and in my I just meals. want a bite of the cheesecake. I don't want the whole thing. Yeah. You know, I just want a little taste. She's that type that like you order dessert and you're like, Hey babe, what do you want? She's like, Oh, I'll just eat some of yours. I'm like, nah, nah, bro. You order your own and I'll eat the rest of yours. Yeah. Like not the other way around. So for me, we always had sweets in the house because I was eating all of them. <laughs> and she would kind of partake here and there, but she just started eating sweets. And it was like, dang, man, I was saving that Reese's ice cream for me. Like, where, where all my ice cream go? <laughs> in my belly. Uh, and I, I think Kobe, you know, taught me later on that, well, you know what, you talk about it because you can explain it better. The, the need for, like... I guess stimulation, stimulation yes, or oh yeah, endorphins yeah, yeah. or dopamine or whatever. Yes, from sugar. yes. So we all have like we all have like a, a dopamine level. Think of it as like those old school thermometers, the ones that had like the mercury in them. Um, we all have like this dopamine level, and, and think about the red liquid inside the mercury. We want it to hit a hundred, um, but at very least we want it to hit eighty, right? Um, and that means that we are getting enough pleasure in our everyday lives to continue to sustain um, life as is, right? But if we put ourselves in positions where we are not living lives that um, give us joy, right? And I think purposeful lives give us joy. But if we are living lives that don't give us joy, that is when we have to rely on external stimuli to meet that quota, right? So maybe the life I was living at the time was only hitting me at a 30 but I need to get to at least 80, right? And usually your body, and, and that's why people crave at night because that's before your body shuts down. That's before it regenerates for the next day. And your so body- it's trying to like hit its, its yes. threshold before the end of the day. Yes, yes. Thing. So okay. your, your body's trying to hit that, that dopamine quota by the end of the day. And the fastest way to do that is food and alcohol. Right. Mm. Because they they literally have an immediate effect before you even swallow alcohol or food. Dopamine's released. Right. So it's the quickest way to do it. Right. So if you are having nighttime cravings before you go to sleep or evening cravings, like it could be a sign that your body is fighting off depression. Right. Because then what happens if you stop meeting the quota? Right. So imagine that this thermometer can shrink. If you keep if you need to hit at least 80 and you keep hitting 30, 30, 30, 30, the thermometer is going to shrink and it's going to say, well, let's 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 make the whole thermometer only 40 degrees. Yeah. Right? Wow. And that's not good, right? You don't want the thermometer to go to 30 degrees because it's literally impairing your ability to feel and receive pleasure. Yeah. And that's not a choice. That is a chemical reality. Yeah, that's the, right, right. So the everyday choices that we make to interact with certain people, to do certain activities, to eat certain things, to pursue our dreams or to not, to not pursue our dreams, those have biological impacts on how our brain receives joy and pleasure, right? So we literally put ourselves, we position ourselves biologically to be numb, we position ourselves biologically to lean towards sadness, desperation, um, when we don't pursue joyful lives, right? And I always say a joyful life is a purposeful life, 
right? And so for me, I wasn't getting it, right? And like, I remember talking to my counselor and being like, do I have a drinking problem? What's going on? And, and my therapist was like, hey, how about for the next three weeks, you just don't drink anything? And I realized I didn't even care about alcohol. I cared about the sugar, right? Like I yeah, cared about the barefoot sh- Moscato was glug glug homie like yeah like i i cared about the sugar i didn't care about the alcohol i cared about the sugar it had so when when the alcohol was gone and i decided okay well i'm I'm just not gonna drink that anymore um what was most difficult was sugar like i realized i didn't even think about drinking at all it was like i just want some sugars can i still have a reese's all right well we're good you know (laughs) and um so it's important for us to realize that that depression is biological. Mm, yeah. Right? It's biological. And I don't want you to receive that when we don't live purposeful lives, we cause ourselves to lean towards depression, to sadness, to hopelessness. I don't want you to receive that as your fault because there are many of us, especially many of us of color, who cannot control our context. Yeah. Right? So part of my wrestle, I was in school at the time, part of my wrestle was that I was the only person of color in my cohort, and I felt very alone. I was like, what the heck is this? I'm in seminary. I'm supposed to feel close to God, but I'm looking around like, why are there no other people here? Mm -hmm. Why is every single theological position rooted in Europe, even though Jesus from the Middle East, you know, like, like I'm over here, like... My savior is black, bruh. (laughs) Or at least brown. Okay. Okay. We'll take Tiger that. Woods colored something. <laughs> Tiger Gosh. Woods colored. They're going to make a crayon color. Right, Jesus on the wall that. all the time with his blue eyes. With his blue eyes. With his crystal blue eyes. Yeah. And his wavy hair and looking like first a surfer. All, okay. I'm not doing this. If he gets wavy hair, it's a blessing. Usually it's Good. pinned straight, you know. Um, but anyways, it, 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 it was hard for me. And I could not change my context. Um... And I was fighting it, right? So I I want you to not see those cravings as like, oh my gosh, I'm just completely in desperation and everything is lost for me. That is your body biologically fighting that off. That's your body saying, we're going to get joy one way or another. We're going to get this happiness biologically one way or another. But um, that's definitely something to be aware of. Definitely something to be aware of. And I don't know much, you know, about, well, I'm I'm probably more informed now than I've ever been, but... The, the thing that Kobe taught me and all of this taught me was like the phrase that I, I think it's a book or whatever too, but like the body keeps the score. Yes. Kobe was saying By all Bessel the time, Vander Kolk. Um, and if you want to understand trauma, if you want to understand um, depression, it's kind of a dense read, but you like, if you want to understand, there are resources like that book. Yeah. But it, it, to condense it, it's essentially like, there is no emotion that is not rooted in a physical action response, either a physical stimulus or a physical response. Yeah. And to try and separate emotion from, from like a physical response or stimulus is to completely miss what's going on. Yeah. It, it, what drives me nuts is when people are like, oh, well, you, you can't re- respond so emotional. You can't respond with your emotion. And I'm like, okay, well, can you define for me any situation any human being has ever had that is not included an in emotion? There has never been any interaction that any human being has had that does not include emotion. What? You know that feeling when you decide not to include emotion and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. 
That's called resolve. That's called being content. That's an emotion. God designed our lives in a way that emotions cannot be extracted from the human experience. So we need, as human beings and as Christians, need to stop acting like uh, emotions are like this evil part of us. No, emotions are a part of God's plan and natural discernment system. If your emotions are not submitted to the Lord, that's where you have a problem. But if I'm following my emotions and they're submitted to the Holy Spirit, that's usually why I'm right. If y'all want to know what... Kobe's hands were doing during that last 45 <laughs> seconds. Go to YouTube and um, look up the Nuck If You Buck video. Stop. That was not doing that. Basically, <laughs> that video was it all that It drives me nuts. Oh, my God. I'm not going to go all the way into it. When church is like, oh, you got to put your emotions aside. You mean the emotions that you're trying to listen to me? And if I don't clap and say amen, you're going to say, well, you ain't, y'all ain't clapping like I said. Like, you know, like I said something good. Or uh, y'all ain't giving me an amen like I didn't say something. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you mean you're trying to elicit my emotion while telling me to to ignore my emotions? Was it not my emotions that led me to the cross? What? Okay, this is not what we're talking about. Go back to what you um, said. But yeah, so it was a number of things, and I kind of slowly came to it. Uh, In retrospect, it's like, man, how did I, why did it take so long for me to see? Um, And then her, her, she is a therapist, and as a therapist, she's required to make sure that her own mental health is okay, because, I mean, you you know, hurt people. In it's hard for hurt order. people to help hurt people, right? So, yeah. I mean, she she was doing that, and so that helped as well because she had another external source kind of saying, "Hey, I think, I think this may be a thing," and yeah. that kind of helped to confirm, at least in our relationship, that it was something that we both had to address rather than just something I was thinking and yeah. scared to, scared to fully commit to. Yeah, and what um, that season taught me was that joy is a survival necessity. Yeah. Like it, like it really is. There are it, people. Maybe not who joy, will, but hope. Yes, joy and hope, right? Yeah. That like, like I say joy because I feel like joy can exist in the midst of suffering, mm-hmm. like knowledge that there's going to be more. So I guess yeah, that's hope too. But like, it is certain like there are some people in the world who will die without it, and we've seen that unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what about in the reverse? Oh, so Kyle, when I saw Kyle, I noticed that Kyle was depressed when um I don't think he was angry like I was I just feel like you were really apathetic like everything was like sure I don't care whatever you know and like I noticed that you hadn't been as excited about things as you usually were like there's certain things you got really excited about Kyle loves to cook so when he wasn't excited about cooking. I was like, oh, something's wrong. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. That yeah. is what I do to de-stress. So yeah. if I've had a long day at work, I would love to come home and cook. Yeah. I've gotten upset at Cobain because I came home and she had cooked. And I was like, I wanted to cook. Like, yeah, you've ruined my whole night. <laughs> <laughs> and um, if you guys ever see me gain weight, that's why. Because he loves to cook. So... He didn't really like cooking anymore, and I felt like um, you're just a naturally funny person. Like, you interact with satire, and you're very affectionate. And when I noticed that you were less affectionate and um, just didn't joke around as much, um, 
that was a big sign for me. You also didn't want to be around me as much. Like, you wanted to be around me in very small doses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say all of this, like, this is me pointing out uh, Kyle's uh, depressive symptoms. But it was hard for me because, and I'd love for you to go into how it was hard for you. I think you kind of did that. But it was hard for me because I took all of his sim- his symptoms very um, personally. <laughs> because they're very yeah. relational. Yeah. You know, yeah. humor is relational. Even cooking is relational. Being around someone is relational. And so I kind of took it as this personal rejection. And it took a while for me to see that it wasn't about me. That there was something beyond me that that mattered to him, to be honest. And that was hurting him. Um, he didn't want to play video games. Kyle can literally stay up till 3 a.m. in the morning before, like the night before a day of work to play video games if all of his friends are available. Um, and I only play video games with my friends. Yeah. So I'm not like, I'm not, I'm really not, it's a communal thing for me. It's yeah. really just an opportunity for me to hang out with people who I don't get to see in real life. Yeah. And so it wasn't just, oh, he didn't want to play, play video, video games. games. It's like, he doesn't it want to be around me, his friends. Yeah, it was me sequestering myself from my friends. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he didn't want to be around his friends um, to be quite just candid especially for those of you who are married um kyle when he didn't want to have sex i was like what so i knew something must be wrong on here you know well, listen if the, if the wind blow too hard i'm ready stop. to have sex stop and it, it it was like this like oh wait wait what what you, you don't want to and i was just like no i just want to go to sleep i'm tired and i noticed with you you were also very tired as well um and you yeah i would i would come home sometimes and i get home at like 7:30 i go to bed at 8 and sleep till through the night sleep till 8 and and be late to work you know yeah like that was just 12 13 hours straight yeah that was a that was a good you just brought up a good point when you were late like there was like two months where you were like not late to work but you were about to be bro i was doing so much effort <laughs> you were li- i was like man i don't care you were you were literally on the Fire edge me. like you you hadn't it, it wasn't like oh he's coming in late constantly but he was like getting to work like on time like the minute of and it would be like babe don't you have to be at work in 10 minutes and it's a seven minute drive and you'd be like yeah i'm about to brush my teeth and i'm like and he would do it you know but it was it uh, he kept he he prepared less. You prepared less for things, um, and I think that everything seems very hopeless to you. Like I noticed, like if something went wrong, it was like everything went wrong every yep. single time. It was like, well, this situation didn't work out, and it would be I would be like, oh well, maybe this, and you'd be like, no, well, if that didn't work out, then the same thing's probably gonna happen there, and it was like this persistent hope hopelessness. Part of why we wanted to have this conversation was because if I wasn't careful, Kyle's depression could have just looked like him being really focused. You know, like going to bed early. um, Because when you're up in the morning, it wasn't like you were doing nothing. You were answering emails. You were, you know, like if I wasn't being um, attentive to the nuances of what it meant for you to be you it could have just looked like oh he's just really struggling at work and he's being really focused and he doesn't have time for other things 
so he's just being really focused. And so, um, it, it was, even when I mean, you stopped, I stopped eating, praying, yeah, you, you know? stopped eating too for a while. You like, remember you got like stick skinny. It was a little bit scary. Um, now the beautiful thing about my depression was the Lord was very gracious to me. And I mean, no joke. I've got the medical records. My doctor will co-sign. I was sick near deathly sick for yeah. almost two years. Yeah, it was bad. Losing my memory, passing out. Passing out all the time. Passing out on stage while singing. Passing out at work. Passing out behind the wheel. Yeah. Just losing consciousness. I still have arthritis in my neck from how many times I just hit my head on the counter or the floor. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I was, as, I was dog sick, throwing up in the bathroom at work. Mm. And was so, again, so depressed and so hopeless. I did not believe that if anyone knew I was sick, that they would they would care for me. I thought the response would be, oh, he's, he's rotten goods. Like, he's spoiled goods. Mm. So I was hiding my sickness at work. I would just, I would go to work and just be throwing up in the bathroom and sick and just pretend... To, to be like okay. be okay because I was so scared that anyone could even know that I wasn't okay because I didn't yeah. feel like there was a place in the world where I could be weak. And I think that that I don't know if you were talking just about your physical sickness and your depression, but I think that that's true for many black men. Yeah. For depression too, like I know that it was hard for you. Like when I started to bring it up, um, I know it was hard for you to to kind of discern like, is my wife doing the thing where she's trying to diagnose me or is she being honest and does she really see something and and I think you know when we had that conversation I kind of sat you down and was like I'm worried about you like I'm genuinely worried about you um you were you there was some trepidation <laughs> you know trepidation it's uh, for those of you that are listening that are not um an african-american male it should be noted that Depression is, yes, amongst men in general, yeah. depression and the idea of depression is frowned upon and ridiculed. Within our community specifically, hmm. it is, I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out a way to, to say it that, that isn't too dramatic, but still communicates the point. It's, you can be dramatic. It's, it's, tab, it's more than taboo. It's, it's offensive. Yeah, it's almost like a, like a character flaw. Yeah. Right? It's like, like you at your core are defective. It is, as much as being a black man is ridiculed and not a good thing that society says, there is still this core pride that all black men have, hopefully. Um, that I think that's still alive in our culture today, that there is a pride of, like, I'm a black man. Yeah. I'm like, which is why like homosexuality in our community is like demonized in, in the way that it is because it, it's seen as like being less of a man and all that stuff. Um, but like there's this, there's this essence of like the idealized strong black, black man. man. Yeah, yeah. That toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and just so, it, it just has a different flavor in our community because of what manhood means in our community and the lack of men that are even like you know not incarcerated there's so many there's so many things to it but just the idea of being depressed 
as as a as a black man that actually has a ton of privilege. Yeah. You know, like as a black man who I've never taken a class that was too hard for me. I I actually am very successful in circles that don't look like me. Since I I've been in, I've been the only one besides my brother in the classes I've been in since I was in second grade. Like I've learned how to maneuver. Um, you know, like I have all of the benefits that you could think to have. And so it was just shameful, the mm-hmm. idea that I could even be depressed. Yeah. It was not something I was willing to entertain. Yeah, yeah, and it was, it was, it was hard to get him to see it because he, I, I, I had had my depressive episode first, so he had seen depression, and a lot of people aren't taught that depression shows up completely differently in every single person yeah right like my depressed season can look like your healthy season yeah your healthy season can look like my depressed season and so for him he had seen my depression and i think for him he was like well i'm not that (laughs) you know like i do not want to be associated with that i am not that uh you know i'm that's not what i'm going through um yeah i was just like i'm just not happy yeah why aren't you happy there's nothing to be happy about yeah. So why? I mean, it's just like it was yeah. just that simple. It's like I'm just not happy. Yeah. And that's fine. That's most of life for most people. Yeah. And you know, and I remember Kobe asking me like, "Well, what do you dream? Like, mm-hmm. what are your dreams yeah, in life?" And I was like, "What do you mean? I don't have any dreams." Well, what do you want to accomplish? I want to make you happy. I was like, ah. <laughs> In most settings, that would be sweet, but this feels a little weird, and I don't think this is an appropriate yeah, dream I was, to I have. I just, you know, it was, and and she prompted me to realize I didn't have any dreams for myself. All the things, all the all the ways that I was looking towards the future, were reliant on other people's joy. Yeah, I wanted to be a good father and a good husband, and that was literally what my hope was. I was successful at work and my hope for being successful at work was to make enough money that I did not have to say no to my wife. And once I got to that point, work Mm. would be done for me. You know, like that was it. That was my purpose. And it wasn't until she like was like, well, that's not normal. I'm like, what do you mean? (laughs) What else is there? Yeah. And she she got me thinking about like my motivations or my lack thereof. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I can honestly look back on Kyle's situation now and say that I contributed to it. I don't I don't think I created his depression, but I definitely exacerbated it, right? Because there were ways that I was I didn't even realize the ways that I had been implicitly I had been operating an implicit bias. Um until, you know, one day I came home from work and I'm like, Hello, hello, the house the cars in the driveway house is quiet i'm like what is going on where is kyle so i text him and i say hey where are you and he texts me back and he says upstairs and i get upstairs and he's having a panic attack in her closet and he's curled up in a ball and he's just broken you know he was just like completely undone and um i think for me that was a moment where god kind of flicked me in the forehead and was like hey you know all those people you spend all day showing compassion to? Maybe you should save a little bit of that for your house. Like maybe you should spend a little bit of that with the person that you're doing life with. Um, because there's a way that Kyle had Kyle for better or for worse, 
in many ways I trusted him. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that that is like the mistake that a lot of us make and, and follow me here. Trusting your partner, your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, it's not wrong. Um, but I trusted him when I saw that he wasn't okay and he said he was. I would like see straight up dysfunction and be like, you're not okay. And he would be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'd be like, okay, (laughs) you know? And, um, and for me, it, it, it affected me, you know? Cause I kind of felt like I was going crazy. I was like, I see this stuff, but like maybe I don't. And, and for me, um, the now what for me was being able to reach out to his circle, right? Being able to reach out to his circle and say, Hey, you guys, this is some stuff I've been noticing. Um, and obviously not, not, I, I don't consider this going behind Kyle's back because I have a, a close relationship to his really good friends. So I was able to go to them and know that, um, it was safe for me and I wasn't violating any type of like unspoken rule of confidentiality in our marriage. But I was like, Hey, like, this is what I'm seeing. What are you guys seeing? They're like, yeah. He has been a little off. And I'm like, yeah, I think he's really struggling with depression, but I don't know if he can hear it from me. Um, that's huge. Your partner may not be able to hear it from you. I'm, I was just too close. His, his depressions, his depression affected me too deeply. Like I remember like trying to like really have a deep, a deep dive in a conversation with you. And what he got out of that conversation was that he was failing me. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, you know, in some ways, my depression was centered around, I have to be better than what I am. By all, you know, by many of the world's standards, I was pretty great, but it was just, I need to be better. I need to be a better husband. I need to be better at work. I just need to be better. There's something wrong with me that Mm. I cannot be right like mm. I cannot be perfect yeah and something wrong with me that I'm responsible for because that's yeah. that's like the big issue is like yeah there might be something wrong there there truly might be something that needs to be fixed but like where we go wrong is saying you're responsible for it like you are the cause of it and you need to remedy it um and that's where we fall short yeah and and you know depression for me felt like again like failing my wife mm. who like, I saw as someone who was there for me to protect and be there for. And, and some of it is, like, you know, very loving stuff. And much of it was just toxic ma- masculinity, machismo, just the idea that, like, I'm not allowed to feel these things, these emotions, these sadness, these things that happened to me when I was younger that still kind of bother me. Hmm. Like, I'm just supposed to get over it. Yeah. And part of that actually is, is yes, I, there's always blame, I guess, that could be had by me. But um, as wonderful as the church that I went to was, the black church specifically has been infiltrated by a theology of self-help. Yeah. 
that is not biblical. You just got to push through. Just, yeah, exactly. You got to speak God's promises. You got to believe that they are yes and amen. He said that we're more than conquerors. Oh, won't you lift your voice and declare what God has spoken over yeah, your life you know, so that I you can come out of a dark place. And it's like, cable, n- you know, take a licking and keep on kicking. Type, you know, it's like <laughs> keep on. that. Those those concepts and those things aren't untrue. Yeah. It's not like like I mean, much of faith is deciding yeah. to move forward, though you though you feel like you can't. Like that's that's yeah. true, but there's also the reality that it communicated that like emotions, unless they're positive, are not holy. Yeah. Negative emotions are sinful, and to feel them, yeah, you can feel them, but if you continue to feel them, you're weak. Yeah. You're sinful and you're, you're not choosing to and you're choosing to yeah. be sad. You're wallow and it's like what where where in scripture do we see anyone gain wisdom without a emotion that taxes them? Yeah. Right? Like they're not negative like I understand what you mean by negative, but like there are emotions that encourage us and there are emotions that tax us, right? There's a price for wisdom. That's why these emotions tax us. Right? Like I you're trying to avoid adversity but adversity is where your wisdom's coming from and you want to walk in your purpose but you don't want to engage authentically in the adversity that's going to give you the wisdom to do that and it it, i was dealing with 20 odd years of discounting taxing or negative emotions yeah and they had built up to a place where i could not i could no longer healthily respond and because they had built up over so such a long time, they became um, they became like indistinguishable. It mm. wasn't. It was no longer even something I could put my finger on what I was feeling. I just didn't feel good. It was just an amalgamation of a thousand different moments that kept, you know, that just kept piling up and piling up. And now yeah. it's just a blob of things that I couldn't even really address individually anymore yeah. because there were too many. It's like being in like a house where someone's been hoarding. It's like, yeah. where do you start cleaning up? And you um, said something that reminded me of another symptom I noticed. You had a very flat affect. Yeah. You responded to everything equally. If it was good, same response. If it was bad, same response. Like, and like nothing affected you, right? Like your your emotional range was was limited in a lot of ways and I was Mm -hmm. just like you don't feel nothing about nothing huh you know and um but yeah you said um the black church I I think that um the black church has so many amazing awesome beautiful redeeming qualities I am a part of the black church I am there's a uniqueness to our culture of faith that the rest of the world really could benefit from and what's difficult is when people have a platform and don't understand Right. This is why believers are called to professions. Right. This is why we're called to learn things. That's why we're called to master things. That's why we're called to study, to show ourselves approved. Okay, that is why we're called to work as unto the Lord, because in every capacity, our work is ministry. Right. And it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't I like to remind people your pastor cannot say that he's given you that you've had therapy or counseling with your pastor, that is illegal. He is not a counselor. Unless he has a degree. Yeah. Other than that, he's not a counselor, you know? And well-meaning people, they give the wisdom that that brought them through. And in our (sighs) culture specifically, what has brought us through for 400 years is just sheer 
like grit and determination yeah. Yeah. to to keep pushing the ball forward for the next generation yeah. and like the just the idea I cannot afford to take a day off I cannot afford to be sad yeah I cannot afford to be depressed yeah I will literally die our culture has been very much you just keep pushing just and keep, so yep. the wise leaders of our culture now that are in faith it's no fault of their own they're simply giving what they what they received and what got them quote unquote through yeah but it's not necessarily informed yeah all the time yeah and we have to stop um taking advice from people who are popular but not learned yeah right like i i there are many let me tell you there are many 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 uh, amazing licensed therapists on several platforms on facebook instagram twitter Wherever you are looking, wherever you're spending your leisurely time, uh, there are licensed, learned, studied people who can give you advice. And I think that what's been like very frustrating is seeing that a lot of the leading voices in the mental health um, advocacy movement are not people who have degrees in mental health, right? And so they're giving this advice where the heart and the integrity of it is good, but the information is false and bad, and they don't even understand that um, information that is not that is not accurate can kill too. Yeah, and even if it's not false directly, it may be flawed, right? Yes. But like if you build your foundation on anything that's flawed, it yeah. will eventually crumble. So yeah. if you've got ninety percent of an answer, that ten percent will come back to haunt you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. And so, um, what do you feel like you experienced most in my depression? Like, what do you feel like you had to go through? Um, so, I was ashamed mm. because I, I literally remember praying, God, I just cannot make her happy. Mm. Yeah. I married her to make her happy. Yeah. And I just can't do it. I felt like such a failure mm. like literally i have one job to make my wife happy like in our in our relationship i've yeah. got more jobs but that's what <laughs> i had condensed it down to at that yeah. point in my life in some ways because unhealthily i was just living for some of the wrong things but also because i think that's a core desire of most men married or unmarried no there are very few men that pursue a woman to specifically make her unhappy yeah. You know, they exist. Uh, there's some there's some bad folks out there. But for most of us, there's like, that's, that's my woman. That's my lady. That's my queen. She, she takes a certain amount of priority. Maybe not over everything. Maybe not over NFL Sunday. Because football <laughs> is real. I learned my lesson. But, you know, like, I was just ashamed. And I felt... I, again, I felt like your depression was my fault. If I were a better husband, you would just be better. Mm. And that would be true, yeah. except your issue, quote unquote, was chemical. Yeah. Right? Like, there's someone's addicted to something. And situational, too. And situational. Like, it was, it was where we were in life. There were yeah. all these things that were outside of both of our control. Now, I did need to be a better husband, mm. but that was not the the core of what but it was wasn't that. your fault yeah. yeah and you know I'll, I'll be honest i i felt a lot of shame in my depression too um and i felt a lot of shame specifically from the 
community in Wilmington. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, I can't walk in authenticity. If I have to take care of myself and step back from the healing circle for two months, I'm going to do it. Right. Because I know that my purpose is beyond what any human can affirm me, you know, in and so I have to take care of myself and part of taking care of myself is walking in authenticity and being honest about what I'm experiencing. And I think that, um, I've been called to the ministry of vulnerability because not many people are willing to sacrifice in that way. Um, and God has equipped me to do that with joy. So I was really honest and you knew I was honest and open about my depression and people's responses to me. Um, I'm glad I could not feel as deeply as I did. As yeah. I do now, rather, people's responses to me were, "You got you married into a young into a beautiful family. What do you got to be depressed about?" Yeah, you know, you're you're 23 years old and and you're beautiful and you're black and you married a handsome man. You know, you know how many single women out there looking for a man to marry them? Like you're just being childish. You're just being selfish. You're just being ungrateful. Mm. You you need to be grateful. You and like you know, I had like some. Uh, well meeting old church ladies like you know you need to just be grateful that god gave you a husband that loves you because you know some people don't even have that and and that is why i say it's so personal what makes you happy is not going to make me happy what brings you deep and abiding joy can bring me deep and abiding sadness yeah um and that is what we have to understand for ourselves that's what we have to understand for our partners um if you are friends with someone and you know that their partner's going through depression, um, just stand by them in the best way that you can. You may not even know that, that their partner's going through depression, but if you see something that's like, oh, there, there might be something going on, because like walking beside someone who is depressed for 18 months is really hard. Yeah. And we can both say that because we've both done it for each other. Yep. Like, you feel helpless you feel worthless and it affects you and and it's easy to almost slide into a depression yourself yeah yeah if you're not careful yeah if you're yoked to someone that you love them so deeply like it's heartbreaking to see someone that you love um not live you know be alive yeah. but not live just being a zombie yeah it's it's hard to to sleep beside that to wake up beside that to... and it normally comes along with a ton of tension in your relationship oh, yeah. arguments in your relationship yeah and what i had to learn in that season and i still i still have to learn right cuz it's it's a difficult lesson but a good friend Again, I mean, I'm I'm Christian, and I would say that 90% of my positive attributes are directly inherited from the gospel. Some people are better people than me, and so they may feel like they can be good people without it. I'm not a very good person outside of the gospel. It, I mean, I'm just not. I'm very selfish. But I had I had godly friends who, in this season, their their advice to me was not, "Bruh, she's tripping." Like, you know what? You can do better than that. It, it wasn't brush she's tripping like i wouldn't take that if i was you like you need to you need to ice up that left shoulder and hit it with the cold shoulder like don't <laughs> talk to her for a week like it wasn't that it was a lot of really okay you're struggling yeah she's struggling you guys are arguing all the time clearly there's there's something wrong we can't speak to her she's not the one on the phone what we can't speak to is you mm. where can you repent 
Mm. You're in control of your... You have a responsibility. Regardless of whatever she does, you made covenant with that woman. Yeah. How can you repent? How can you love your wife better tomorrow? And, like, you said that you were willing to lead your wife. Lead your wife in repentance. Mm. Lead your wife in saying sorry. Lead your wife in being the one to bow out of the argument that you know that you should be winning. Lead, you know, lead your wife be with the humility to just decide that it's not worth winning if it's going to, if it's going to, like, break her. Yeah. You know, and yeah. not to say be run over by your wife or whatever, because I think we have a very mutual, a great mutual respect in our relationship. But yeah. it was a season where, like, she wanted to fight. She needed to fight. Yeah. And me trying to fight and hold my ground and not take that, quote unquote, would have would have been detrimental to our relationship. I needed humility and I needed a community around me that valued humility. Yeah. Specifically men that yeah. were like, well, you know, our Lord and Savior, pretty humble guy. Yeah. You want to be like Jesus? What did Jesus do when he saw a problem? He didn't tell someone else to fix it. He went and died. Yeah. You should go and die. If you want to fix a situation, lay down your life for your wife and just keep praying that the Lord will, will, you know, will, will bring relief. And he did. Yeah. But it took a long time. Yeah. And that is a great segue into one of the last points I want to make is is community. Like, community is the biggest predictor of resilience in every single people group, in every single race of people. Wow. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian. Community is the greatest predictor for whether someone's going to develop resilience or not. So it's so important because... I, to be honest, at the time, I didn't have community, but because my husband had community, I had this, this vicarious, um, support, right? I had the secondary support in the people around him because they were reaching out to me and checking up on me. His friends were reaching out to me and checking up on me, reaching out to me and saying they're praying for me, reaching out to me and encouraging me. Um, and that is what began to help me develop hope. You know, um, and I don't say I developed hope by myself. That was the beginning of it. But being in therapy, I was in therapy for two years. I'm looking for a therapist here in Charlotte. So if you know somebody, hit a sister up. Um, it, it was hard. I had to do a lot of work in therapy and realize that things that I decided not to look at a couple of years ago were showing up now in my marriage. And so I was being so triggered um, from, you know, what I'd experienced younger in my life in my marriage yeah. that I just shut down like I was in my brain was in survival mode my brain was like nope 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 yeah nope, we're not doing this I no felt more. like I was paying for things that I I just really I yeah. had not had nothing to do what I did in the moment was wrong you know the ways that I had I had triggered something were wrong I was in the wrong but like if what I had done was a four out of ten the response I was getting was a, an 11 out of 10. Yeah. And that's because there were some six and sevens out of tens that were stacked on top of what I'd done. Yeah. And I mean, she didn't, she didn't get to control that. Like yeah. you can't control how much you were hurt. Yeah. But it was, it was tough for me to feel like, man, like all these dudes used to dog you. Like I'm by far the best dude you've ever been with. I feel like I'm the one like, you know, I'm not getting any of the benefit that they all got. When they dogged you, 
like you were cool with it. You just took it and grinned it. And now like, you know, I'm not a perfect dude, but I'm far better than any of them. And it seems yeah. like in a lot of ways I when we find I'm chewed out. When we find a safe place, that's when we begin to fight. Yeah. Right. Which is like so counterintuitive, but like when we find a safe place, that's when we have the ability to stand up for ourselves and fight. Um but yeah, so I I struggled um and therapy was a big part of that right like my therapist had to show me and I'm going to do an episode on this um I've decided it's going to be called ego is not the enemy but everyone talks about like oh it's your ego it's your ego remember my therapist being like Kobe you have no ego strength none you know she's like your ego is what teaches you how to stand up for yourself right and if your ego is inflated then you stand up for yourself in in places where you are not justified but to have an ego that's intact, you need to be able to, like, actually stand up for yourself, right? And for so long in my life, my ego wasn't intact. And so a lot of that repairing happened in my marriage. And so it was like I was retroactively attacking Kyle for all the other people I did not fight back for, you know? Um... Yeah, and so if you are dealing with depression, seek a therapist. Some awesome resources to find a therapist. Um, There's an app called Attune, A-T-T-U-N-E. It's an app that will help you find a therapist. There's also something called Open Path Collective. So Open Path is one word, and then Collective is a separate word. It will let you know all the therapists in the country who are willing to do reduced rate therapy. Um, also there is psychology today. Most people are familiar with that. You can type in your race, your zip code, what you want counseling for, what times you want counseling, what insurance you have, and it'll connect you kind of like a matching, um, with who, um, fits in that criteria so that you can reach out to them. A great way to figure out whether, um, a therapist is viable for you or not is just read their bio. The way people write is often the way, in many ways, how they talk. Um, And so just read their bio if they seem like someone you would like to get to know. See if they have a free consultation. So most therapists will let you come just chat with them in their office for 30 minutes. And it's free of charge. You don't have to pay for anything. And you'll get to get to know them and see if you feel comfortable with them before you have to commit to paying or submitting insurance claims. Um... Thank you guys for talking with us. I think it was really awesome to be able to share the reality of what it means to be depressed um, and then also the reality of what it means to be the partner of someone who's depressed because I think sometimes being the partner of someone who's depressed can be just as hard. It can feel like there's something wrong with you, right? Like, why does this person want to be with me if I don't make them happy? What's wrong with me that this person's not happier in my presence like shouldn't I make you happy shouldn't I be enough there's a lot that comes up and so if you are the partner of someone who is struggling with depression it might be a good idea for you to go to therapy too um yeah just for that support just for that support yeah and and I'll also say um specifically for men and then again I'm, I'm a black man so that's my context um I would just try to hammer home this is not something that will go away. Yeah. Um, it is not something... It, some of the symptoms may change if your circumstances change, but the disease is still there. 
the issue is still there. That underlying issue is there. Yeah. And for us specifically, there's a there's an additional barrier in therapy because there are very, very, very few black male therapists. Now, there are very few um, black therapists, period, but the majority of them are all going to be women. Most therapists, period, are women. Um, but it can feel like you don't have anyone that actually understands your context or has a shared uh, worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you can afford therapy, which most people can't, I mean, it's super expensive. I would still say what you can do is you can actually talk about your feelings. Mm. And like, yeah, that is, for the most part, that's free. Like, but talking to your friends who are willing to just be, to listen, where you could say, hey, I, I recognize I'm feeling a bunch of stuff. I don't even know what to say about it. And I'm pretty ashamed to even bring it up. But I know now it's not going to get better unless I at least talk about it. I never, I was never able to benefit from full therapy. I probably could now, and I'd be interested um, if, if I could find one that fits my context. But what I did have were two or three friends that understood me and were willing to listen and ask questions and provide thoughtful feedback and just talk. And that, I wouldn't say I'm perfect now or anything, but that was more than I had ever had, and it was free. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're afraid to begin therapy or to make that step, there's still, you know, steps that you can take that can really help you. Um, Thanks for sharing that, babe. I think that was really important. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. Because we want you guys to actually implement some of these principles that you learn in the podcast, we created a free guide for those of you who want to learn how to support your partner through a depressive season. The link is in the show notes. It's completely free. Also, if you're thinking about going to therapy and have no clue where to start, don't worry. We got you. We created a free FAQ guide so that you can have questions answered from how to find a therapist and how to utilize insurance. So if you want those free resources, make sure to check the show notes. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast or even share it so that people can join the meaningful conversation. Until the circle comes back around, I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.